Today, the 1st of April, is known as April Fool's Day in many countries around the world. Hello everyone, Rev Brad coming to you from the Touchline. While the origins of April Fool's is debated, there are many places where the day is filled with many practical jokes and pranks. Some are elaborate and others more simple. Well, with no football right now and thinking through April Fool's Day, it has me wondering about a few comments that have cropped up recently about soccer and sports. So stay tuned. I guarantee this is no April Fool's joke. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him in, and they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner. Goes towards the near post. And you're the angle. And what a goal! What a goal! April Fool's Day. In my family, this has usually been filled with certain pranks and gags, usually harmless and fun. At the end of the practical joke, we shout out or declare, April Fools! Having been on the receiving end for so many years as a kid, I love fooling my own kids and family, though it's been a few years since I created an elaborate prank or scheme. I remember it's not much fun to be fooled. No one wants to feel or seem foolish. That sense of shame or dismay at being fooled or being or seeming foolish happens in other ways, too. You know, at the start of the coronavirus, and with the suspension of many of the sports leagues and games, both here in the U.S. and around the world, I began seeing a lot of social media posts, and they had an air and attitude generally commenting on the foolishness of sports. For example, I saw one post that proclaimed that God was judging the world and taking away the idolatry of sport. Another post spoke out against the frivolity of things like sports and how during these times we see the quote-unquote real value of such things. Oh man, I really struggled with these posts, some of them coming from pastors and church and religious leaders that I know. And the conflict really arose within me to scroll down some of their social media streams and see an inordinate amount of time spent personally devoted to their own particular sports team or sports passion. So it seemed like they were making these two-sided comments. Well, within several of the comments and postings, I, I just kept feeling there was this generalized attitude towards sports saying, hey, it's okay, these things are gone or suspended because they're just a fool's game anyway. And that got me wondering, is soccer, is sport, is, is football, is it just a fool's game? Now, to be fair, the church and sport, even religion and sport going beyond the Christian faith here, have largely been in tension with one another throughout the course of history. The church in general has had a couple of different approaches to sport. Some of them are cultural, some more on the basis of a particular era or time, some from a well-formed theological position, and others from a poorly formed theological position. And all of these approaches really are on a continuum. On one side of the continuum is anti-sport. Uh, then you move a little bit closer to mild condemnation, to, to adaptation or full-on embrace of sport. So all these things are kind of stirring and churning, and I think things like the coronavirus bring them up. Now, honestly, it's too much to go into today on the podcast, but I'd say if you're interested in looking at the history and relationship of the church and sport, specifically the Christian faith, I recommend Lincoln Harvey's book, A Brief Theology of Sport. It's a great next step. It's a short little book, 
And I have all of our chaplains with Soccer Chaplains United read, and I'll link to it in the episode notes. But before going on further, I think it's important to acknowledge, I do believe there is, as with most things, a tendency for people to idolatrize sport. It is the God to many people. It has become the religion in global and local ways. Even my own favorite football club, uh, Manchester United Football Club, call it the religion. But I also believe that sport, and specifically soccer, is also an established industry and a viable vocation. And yeah, there's corruption and largesse, there's sin and immoral practice, there's unethical and scandalous ongoings within the sport, but no less than any other profession or industry. And this is the nature of our fallen world and the nature of human depravity. You know, just for example, consider the price gouging within the pharmaceutical industry. Things that ought to be created for the health and well-being of people is just another edge toward profit and wealth creation for a select few. But I digress. I recently heard a talk given by Professor Taniko Malalaka, a leading and internationally recognized researcher who specializes in religion and politics as well as black and African theologies. He shared about his research and the African attitudes relating to football and church. He said there were several problematic issues that were evident in football. And especially because this is a sport that was imported to the, the continent of Africa through colonialism. And even though it had become so well-loved throughout the continent, he, he shared that there's been these issues within specifically the Nigerian church, where Nigerian church leaders began to notice that the male population was largely absent from church when Nigeria would be playing a, a football match in major competitions. Now, whether that was the World Cup or Africa Cup of Nations and the like. So, there are problems with football or other sports and hobbies and passions when they are wrongly placed, just to be clear. This wrongful or sinful placing of priorities is covered well, I think, by C.S. Lewis in his essay, First and Second Things. In it, Lewis contends that there is a necessary right ordering of our lives. As an example, he describes a woman who makes a dog the center of her life. And by doing so, he comments, she loses her human usefulness and dignity and the proper pleasure of dog keeping. In other words, what Lewis is saying is that if we put secondary things into a first place and position in our lives, we end up losing out on both things. Neither of them makes sense. I think the same could be said of football. If someone makes a beautiful game the center of his or her life, it might be said that uh, this person, too, is likely to lose their sense of human usefulness and dignity as well as the pleasure that one gets from the game. And Lewis's suggested law of first and second things needn't only apply to the foolish game of football. If a person puts career first or uh, the boat first or the car first or whatever it is, what, if a person places anything first and above all else, well, we could go on with many more examples. You know, a lot of the athletes and coaches I work with and serve come from different backgrounds as it relates to their work and skill in football. And I think that this ties in in several ways into, into the ways that they approach the idea of first and second things. Uh, one place where athletes and coaches come from is a place of unbelief and shame. And I've seen this in many cases where families, friends, uh, others, like the pastors I previously mentioned, they say things like, when are you going to grow up and get a real job? Or when will you stop chasing this crazy dream? 
there's another category where I think athletes and coaches come from, and that's a place of imbalance. And their football is all-consuming. You know, parents can play into this by putting pressures on and, and living out vicariously through their son or daughter's achievements, or they can end up devoting an obscene amount of family time and resources to the furtherance of their child's quote-unquote career. They say things like, well, if they can at least get a full-ride scholarship, it'll all be worth it. Or football runs in our family veins. We're all in, all of us. Or they say football is all I know. I don't know what I could do or, or who I'd be without it. I find that those living in this space of imbalance tend to be largely unhealthy and even dangerous when it comes to emotional and relational intelligence and maturity. Then there are those who, they come from a more balanced perspective. They realize football is a game. And while they may have achieved something within the industry and professionalization of the game, they realize, too, that there's life outside of football, life after football. And the likelihood that, especially in the U.S. and with the U.S. professional game, there will be the need for personal and professional development that goes beyond the game itself. They're the type of person that seeks to grow and develop holistically. And these are the ones who tend to capitalize on different opportunities to grow themselves and their networks and their connections, and they look to serve others in various capacities as it relates to the, to the game of soccer. Well, if I just leave it to those three oversimplified categories, and there's a lot more that could be said, there's an important work that a chaplain can do with all three. As a chaplain, I often try to help people realize that, you know, first, they need not feel shame for playing or being part of football. It's not a fool's game. And in fact, uh, I've, I've known many that have made an excellent career, an excellent vocation of it. God's gifted them to play the game, to coach the game, to see the game in, in wonderful ways. Uh, as a chaplain, though, I also warn against imbalance. And I really try to encourage and, and teach and coach people that they need to come from a more balanced position and understand that they need to place football, no matter what level they're, they're at in the game, in an appropriate place. It's here that I find the phrase oft attributed to Pope John Paul II to be helpful. He said, of unimportant things, football is the most important. I like that for several reasons, but recently Jurgen Klopp, the manager for Liverpool FC, whose Premier League side have all but won the league this year, said something very similar in a recent press conference when he was asked about the coronavirus. He was real careful to place and position his own comments as a football manager into a right perspective and container. But he essentially said that in the larger scope of life, that today's football and football matches are of lesser importance, and that no one should be looking to a football manager for wisdom about how to respond to a global pandemic. Well, Jurgen's right. You know, it's taken me a little bit to get around to it, but essentially I want to say I understand someone who understands that the game of football and the match is unimportant or foolish in the light of what is happening right now. But football does have an importance among unimportant things. To name a few, uh, just from my own experience, my own observation, for the retired person, the one whose income is dependent upon the part-time work at the stadium as a security guard or an usher, you know, they're dependent on that role to make ends meet. So football is important for them. For the athlete who supports his family and extended family through his football wages and sends money back to his or her home country and it's helping uh, clothe and feed their family, football is important. 
for the person who's able to go to university through scholarship, you know, when the cost of higher education would have made uh, education unreachable, football is important. Even in a larger extent for the fan or the family who take in a game and they share the enjoyment or they share moments of rest and relaxation at a local match, uh, a professional match, and cheering the team on, uh, I, I think that's part of our recreation. That's part of our Sabbath. And we could say football is important. The, the game is important. The sport is, the play is important for us as people. Sometimes the struggle is in knowing how to set right priorities. How does one understand how to prioritize these different things in life? How do we categorize what is important versus what is unimportant or what is good and right versus what is wrong or foolish? Well, here, I find the words of the Hebrew prophet Micah to be helpful. He says in Micah 6.8, He has showed you, O people, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Here's a little bit of a litmus test for us. Whether in our professions or our pleasures, whether in our family or in our faith, whether for football or for something else, we can measure these things and rightly place them. You know, for example, would it be right to host football matches when quarantine and social distancing rules are in place? No. No, the right thing to do is to suspend. Even in our lockdown status, are there ways we can show love, ways we can show mercy uh, for our neighbors, our community? Yes, we should do those things. You know, maybe for a young person, it's, it's, it's uh, trimming, trimming the garden for, for the elderly neighbor or going and getting their groceries, checking in on them, making sure that they're okay. We should do these things. What does it mean to walk humbly with God? What does that look like? Well, it looks like time spent praying. It can be time spent reading the Bible. It can mean time reflecting on the other parts of our life, the things that are ordered and unordered, so that we can rightly adjust our priorities. I think now, I mean, the beauty of the coronavirus right now and the lockdown quarantine is we have time. We can take time now for self-examination, and, and perhaps coming out of this, we can better order our lives for the time and times which are to come. To end today, I want to offer a prayer for unimportant things or foolish things. Lord, we come to you in the midst of our lockdown and quarantine state. We've suspended play, we've canceled games, and life doesn't look the same. Some of us have been confronted with questions of priorities. Some of us have been wondering if we haven't just been foolish or simply fooled. Show us the right way to have things in our football, in our families, in our faith. Help us to do what is right. Help us to seek the good and well-being of others, whether family or stranger. Help us to walk with you anew. See us through this time. May we not be April's fools. Amen. This is Rev. Brad coming to you from the Touchline.